Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome to another podcast, uh, Power, Strength and Vulnerability. My guest today is 26-year-old, who I don't know from a bar of soap, basically. We've just chatted the last 10 minutes. Um, her name is Grace. Welcome, Grace. Hi, how are you going? <laughs> um, I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, firstly, Grace, why did you reach out, I guess, and want to be on the podcast? And what do you suffer? Um, basically, um, I'm very passionate about just talking about mental health and normalizing it. Um, I've actually seen you talk at an event once. And um, yeah, when I saw you doing your podcast, it's something that I'd like to share my story. And um, yeah. Basically, um, I've been diagnosed with bipolar and borderline personality disorder. I also have um, a chronic pain condition that affects um, connective tissue and joints in my body. But, so uh, the works. You've got a fair bit going yeah, on. Yeah. You've got a fair a bit. bit going on. Um, I firstly, I'll, let's not touch on so much of that stuff. Let's mm-hmm. talk about... I guess your childhood growing up, what did that look like and stuff, just to sort of paint the picture um, for the listeners out there. Yep. Okay. So um, I have one younger brother um, and grew up with my parents together. Um, I live in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne and um, you know, middle-class family, went to private school. Um, my We do have mental illness genetically in the family. My grandma um, had the same diagnosis that I do. Um, but yeah, pretty good childhood. Um, nothing really eventful or traumatic happened to me. Um, and then through high school, did pretty well. I've always been an extremely, uh, sensitive kid and teenager. Um, and yeah, being called drama queen my whole life and overreacting, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I also have the most chilled brother in the world. So that kind of <laughs> contrast makes you stand yeah, out. Made me look way more dramatic. Yeah. Um, and then. Yeah, basically um, everything kind of went downhill after high school. Um, I started partying a lot, um, like everyone kind of, and um, yeah, that's when um, I had my first depressive episode and it kind of just came out of nowhere really. Um, Yeah. Nothing, yeah, no trauma in my childhood, Um, regular, regular, yeah, just yeah, you're, you're normal. Yeah, you're a normal not, kid. I not, say normal, but yeah, yeah. 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 We just say normal just, before. Yeah, but regular. What is normal? Yeah, uh, these days or yeah. any days. But so through your childhood, you had a younger brother. Did you get along with him well? Um, when we were kids, we didn't. Yeah. Um, we are now great. Um, so he's uh, 24. So we're only um, 18 months apart. So we spent a lot of time together because we were so close in age. But um, we fought a lot. Um, but yeah, since we've been adults, we get along get really, on really, really well. well. Yeah. So we're close now. Do you find? Did you now you talked about the overreaction and the drama queen? Yeah. Type stuff. Did you spoke about how he's a pretty chilled mm-hmm. guy? Yeah. Um, is that why you may have clashed growing up? Um, I think so. I think um, he hates, not hates drama, but he's just very chill. Like a hurricane could happen next to him and you just play PlayStation. Yeah. Like he just is like whatever. Yeah. And it's not that he doesn't care. He just, um, I think I do have a massive personality and 
do have extreme reactions to stuff, which is part of my personality disorder. But I think I was just a lot for him and yeah. he was just like, oh, go away, you're annoying kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so I yeah. think that's, yeah, where we clashed a lot. Yeah. And I think just I know a lot of siblings that are very close in age and I think it just, yeah, that's where it's pretty fighting. Yeah. To yeah. fight yeah. when you've got what you were going through but didn't know you were going yeah. through and what he's the opposite. Yeah. It and just, just yeah, you couldn't off. pick two more opposite kids to yeah. be siblings. Like we're extremely different. Um yeah, so that could be why. Yeah. Yeah. Um what were your dreams and ambitions growing up? Um I guess um I really struggled academically at school. Um I've always had this massive thing about being a failure and dumb and all of that stuff. Um at school I never fitted into a box of like the sporty kid or the drama kid or arty kid or whatever um so a lot of my schooling I felt very like lost as to what I was doing or where I fitted in um and but um when I was like finishing VCE I wanted to be a youth worker so um I did a bachelor of youth work and um, I worked with homeless young people for six months, um, but I became too unwell. Um, it's also very stressful yeah. work. Um, so um, I decided to leave that and I haven't worked since. So I think it's been about four or five years. Um, so, yeah, but my yeah dream was always to kind of work in some sort of field of helping people, um, yeah, especially like young people. Um, and, yeah. That's kind of still my dream, I guess. Yeah. 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 That's good. You sound very similar to me. (laughs) I've got a brother who's 18 months younger. He's very chilled. Yeah. We fought like cat and dog. Yeah. And I want to help people as well. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) enough about me. Um, what were your parents like growing up and your friends? What was, you have a big friendship circle? Was it a small friendship circle? Um, with my parents, um, so my mum's mum died um, pretty young, um, so I think when I was four. Um, so growing up, my mum um, obviously was dealing with that um, and my dad is a very um, practical and logical person um, and so even though my parents are amazing, um, they didn't really realise at the time that um, I guess shutting down my feelings and emotions and just saying get over it or whatever as a small child has really affected my outcome. Um, but they also um, are um, very supportive and amazing um, in many different ways. Um, and I guess my mum became a parent at 21, so you don't really know what you're doing. You just kind of – no one gets a parent <laughs> handbook. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then I guess with friendships, um, again, being – sensitive person I um have always made friends very easily um but like all through primary school um I there was a lot of like conflict um I think just being um girls and stuff it can be very bitchy and stuff like that which I really struggle with because I take everything extremely personal yeah um and it was the same kind of thing in high school I also moved um schools so I started a new school in year nine um which is very hard to do um because you're coming in and friendship groups are already formed and stuff like that Probably so the strongest yeah um so and I think yeah year nine's a pretty important year with in terms of friendship groups. So, um, yeah, but I basically had 
um, yeah, a pretty like small but tight um, t- uh, circle of friends um, in our, like later high school. Um, it all kind of changed when we all finished high school, which I think happens with most people. Um, but I always had a few um, really, really close friends um, and then friends that I would just go out with. Yeah. Um, and then I made a lot of friends at uni um, and – I guess doing the same course, we're all very similar in um, personality and yeah, yeah, all wanting to help people and stuff. Um, So yeah, um, when I got sick, a lot of that changed. Um, But yeah, I guess that's growing up kind of how the friendship thing has been. Um, Yeah, I think my um, extreme sensitivity um, has made it difficult, but also um, I am very friendly and outgoing, um, so I'm always able to make friends easily. Um, but yeah. Cool, cool. Um, I guess the next thing I want to talk about is mm-hmm. what was what was the first time you realised there was something wrong yeah. um, and what happened? Like, And how old were you? Was it 21, like you said, or was it a bit younger? I think it was about, yeah, 20. Um so I had the implant on put in, which is a um, type of birth control that they insert into your arm. Um, and I didn't tell anyone except my boyfriend at the time that I was having that done. Um, and then about two weeks later, um, he noticed um, that I just wasn't myself. Um, I'm a very loud person. I talk a lot. I'm very outgoing. And out of nowhere, I was just not talking to anyone. I kind of withdrew from everyone. Um, I was just sleeping a lot. And him being a 20-year-old boy who didn't know really anything about mental health, didn't really know what to do, um, so he took me to the doctor and they put me on um, antidepressants. Um, the only thing is that when you're on when you have bipolar, you cannot be on antidepressants without a mood stabilizer. So, um, but they didn't know at the time. So basically, um, the antidepressants then made me suicidal because a a side effect of antidepressants, um, can be having suicidal thoughts. Um, so yeah, both of us didn't really know what to do. Um, and even though my mum's a social worker and I've been around mental health my whole life, I was still so ashamed to tell my mum, which I look back now and think is so stupid because she's like the most accepting person about mental health ever. Um, but yeah, I told her, um, and basically, yeah, she took me to the doctor. Um, the doctor refused to take the implant on out, um, because he was worried about me getting pregnant and that that would be the worst outcome. Um, and mum was more worried about, you know, keeping me alive. So, um, basically it got removed. And then a few weeks later, they took me off the antidepressants and I was fine. But then what happened was because the antidepressants, I then um, went into a manic um, period. But because I was young and everyone was kind of partying and I am loud and outgoing, my parents never really noticed. They always noticed the, not now, but they back then they noticed the depression because it was so far from my normal. Yeah. But the mania, they didn't. It was harder for them to notice. It was more, we didn't know until I had a proper assessment done and we looked back and went, oh, like, and looked back in the past and realized my behavior was not really normal. 
Um, but yeah, we didn't really know at the time. So just, I guess for anyone listening and I don't know a lot about it, but what's, what's the mania stuff you're talking about? Like, um, so like my, I mean, it's different for everyone. Um, for me, I guess the first sign is that I just talk at a million miles an hour. Um, I feel like you feel good. Like people always think it's that you feel happy, but it's actually, um, you get a lot of anxiety and you just feel like you're, it feels like you're on drugs, really. Yeah, it's better. Um, yeah, like it basically feels like, yeah, you're on drugs. Um, I was, I'd speed, um, like driving, um, and you just feel like you're not in control. Um, and I was just working myself into the ground, partying every night, um, and doing things that I wouldn't normally do. So it, Mania um, comes with a lot of risk-taking behaviour. Um, so I started recreationally taking drugs um, and just, um, yeah, having sex, like dangerous sex with people, um, just doing things that I normally wouldn't do. And it's like being on drugs in that you're not making decisions how you normally would make decisions. Um, and I guess there's just this, you can't sit still. There's like this, um, you come across as very happy, but you are not grounded. You're not, it's like, it's very hard to explain, but it's, you're not, um, centered, I guess. And I also didn't sleep. So, um, I think I spent about six weeks with like sleeping two hours a night, um, which also increases mania. Yeah. Um, because yeah. So, and then you tend to crash. So, um, yeah, that's basically, but we never really realized because my parents just thought, oh, she's 20, she's out partying, she's, you that's know, it. just never home. That's just normal. And, um, yeah, it's now looking back, you know, I lost my license from speeding and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, just doing things that is not my, I guess, normal. Yeah. 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 Whatever normal is. Yeah. But my, but, my usual, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. The, the, I guess the thing that makes you happy because like, I don't know, ask, did those things make you happy? Like the speeding, the, um, the sex stuff that you're yeah. talking about, the drinking, the drugs, did that make you happy or like? Um, I think at the time I thought it was. Um, I now look back at um, the last, yeah, five years and so much of what I was doing um, is I think just searching for a coping mechanism, searching for something um, really in a void that I didn't really know I had. Um, and, again, I used to blame a lot of it on just Aussie culture and just yeah. oh, I'm doing what everyone else is doing. But now that I look back, I'm like, I was doing it a lot more extremely than the people I was hanging out with. Yeah. Um, and I know that I blamed a lot of my behavior on just it's normal. Um, but I guess it came to a point where, you know, even my friends that were doing that stuff can hold down a job and can get up every day and stuff like that. Whereas my life became unmanageable. And I guess that's kind of where the difference was for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you've spoken about the mania and then the come down. What's the come down? Like, what does that look like yeah. for you? And um, I'm guessing it's probably very similar for most people, to be honest. Yeah. So for me, um, people with bipolar, some tend to be more on the mania side. Um, I'm more on the depression side. Um, so for almost, I would say, two years, um, I was extremely depressed, um, like, pretty much catatonically depressed. Um, my boyfriend at the time and my best friend would just sit with me and I wouldn't speak. Um, I would just sleep. 
um, just um, constant um, suicidal thoughts um, and at times just nothing. Like there's no other word than just nothing. I Like people would look at me and I, it's just blank. Um, and, um, yeah, I guess that was the come down. Um, and I guess it's what all my loved ones noticed more when I was depressed um, because it's extremely different from how I regularly am. Um, but because I do have, um, we now know that I have a personality disorder, um, I think that also like a lot of depression comes with that as well. So it's very complicated in terms of what caused what. Um, but I guess, yeah, if you look at the symptom base, um, it was also, I think, um, they couldn't figure out what was wrong and they were trying all different types of um, treatments and every time a treatment doesn't work, I guess you lose more hope. Um, and Blame yourself a little yeah, bit Yeah, blame well. myself. Um, the whole, you know, you feel like a burden to your family and your loved ones and um, it you can tell that it does affect the people around you a lot and I'm an extremely compassionate person so seeing my like favorite people in the world hurting and they're probably trying to hide as well yeah they do which makes it worse again because you like to be yeah yeah and like i hated the whole elephant in the room thing you know no one talked about it and that's different now but back then um it did seem like something that i you know i would call my workplace and say i had a car accident instead of saying i can't come in because of um yeah and then once they found out, they were amazing. That was really supportive. Um, and all my workplaces have been, but I felt like I had to lie. I felt like, oh, I can't say I just woke up with depression. I can't come in. I have to give a, like, reason that's, you know, like a, approved or whatever by society. Um, and I kind of regret doing that because when all of my, like, bosses in the past have found out, they've been really supportive. Um, but it is that... Um, yeah, just shame. Um, and I think a lot of it I put on myself. Um, and yeah, I guess, um, I was in like a long-term relationship at the time and, um, feel a lot of guilt around, um, things that he had to put up with. And I guess it's also, um, you see your friends, um, cause that all happened like in my, um, early to mid twenties and you see your friends achieving things and stuff and you're not, and you miss, it feels like you're missing out on a lot of opportunities um so yeah I think all of that yeah just kind of spirals into one thing and yeah and that one thing you think is you should just disappear yeah yeah that's that's the easiest life would be easier for everybody else if I wasn't around um and even though logically I know that's not true um for a very long time in my life it felt like fact that you know, everyone will get over it within a couple of years and their life would be so much better yeah. than having to look after, you know, and my parents did have me young and so they've always thought that they'd be able to travel and do all these things when they had adult children, which they haven't really been able to do because of how much support I need. So um, I guess for a long time it was like, well, if I go, go then um, they'll be able to do that and everyone will be able to move on and have better life without me so um which then I guess that outlook then causes them more pain and it's like this horrible cycle of yeah it's not just everyone feels yeah. shit everyone feels shit yes for, for, <laughs> for yeah. a very long time yeah yeah um so let's go back and talk about your bosses so you've spoken yeah. about how once they're found out did that make you 
speaking from my experience mm-hmm. here, did that make you actually want to go to work then? Because they almost, because of the support they gave yeah. you, like, I want to support them now. Like, um, Yeah. So um, my boss during uni, um, he was great. Um, I took a lot of time off. Um, I was part-time, so I had to take a lot of unpaid leave, um, which he was great in, you know, supporting my um, like keeping my position, which he didn't need to do. Um, and I think when I got back to work, it made me respect him so much more that I was willing to work a lot more hard, a lot harder yeah. to make his job easier. Um, and then my first job after uni, I guess working for, you know, a youth organization, they are very compassionate people. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, so basically I got diagnosed with bipolar um, and I was very sick through my last semester of uni and my plan was to get through uni and then take a break. And my last week of uni I got a call from where I did placement and said, hey, we've got a six-month position, did you want it? And it was my dream job and I was like, yeah, I'm not really well enough but I'll take it. And at that time I thought, oh, they'll give me the right medication and I'll be fine. So I took the job when I, in hindsight, probably shouldn't have. Um, and I um, ended up, I tried to hide it from them, um, which again, they're very compassionate people, so it doesn't really make sense. But I finally told um, my boss and um, again, they um, gave me unpaid leave. Um, they also um, gave me time to um, like change my hours and things like that um, to yeah, make it easier um, and I guess being a community services type organisation, they do know a lot about mental health so it's helpful in that kind of way. Um, but in the end, um, it really was unfair to the organisation in how much time I needed off um, and I got told within two, with two days' notice that I needed to go to hospital for four weeks and I'd already taken so much leave and it was only a six-month contract. So in the end, it was kind of a, they asked me to resign, um, but it ended on good terms um, and I felt like it was a fair thing for me to resign. It wasn't working. It's also when you're working with homeless young people, even though I loved it, it's not something, well, it's not something for me that I can just leave at work and not take home with me. Um, And it's a responsibility. I was like 21 or something and I live at home still. I don't know how to, I don't know much about life and I'm trying to be this expert and help these young people and I felt like I had no idea. I couldn't really get my shit together. How am I supposed to help these people with children and all this stuff? And the whole thing was just a lot. Um, So, yeah, but um, I think it's such a relief, like, when you tell someone, like, hiding it is so exhausting. Yeah. Like, it's, and, you know, making excuses wait. And for me, it would be, like, you don't have any notice, so you'd wake up and go, I can't go to work. Yeah. But you've got half an hour to tell them. And so that's why I would say I had a car accident because I'm like, what excuse can I give that? They're not going to question. Yeah, that's this much notice. Um, And so I would strongly advise like anybody that's out there to tell a real reason because majority of people are very supportive. Um, And it is, it's like, you can like finally breathe once they know yeah. what's actually going on. It helps every aspect of your life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. For such as, and all you're doing is telling someone how you yeah. feel. Yeah. Which sounds easy, but it is. It's hard. not easy. Yeah. And like I said, you know, I couldn't even tell my mum who 
has worked her whole life um, in social work and I felt ashamed to tell her. And so, you know, um, it is really hard to tell people no matter what kind of people they are or how accepting they are to mental health. It's extremely hard um, for, for everybody, I think. Would you say um, that you don't want to tell these people because you don't want to be a burden, but in essence of not telling them, you're actually more of a burden? Yeah, Because definitely. when you do get that support, it's a lot easier for both parties to yeah, move forward, whereas if you're just so. going through your mania and you're yeah. spiralling out of control yeah, and they're just kind of seeing it and thinking, oh, it's normal, 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 yeah. but all of a sudden three years down the track, yeah. You might have you know, kicked up a debt that they have got to yeah, cover or exactly. you're laying in bed, yeah. can't do anything. Yeah. They're actually more – it's more of a burden then. Yeah, and I think too, like, in terms of, like, the depression side, um, when people didn't know, I think people got the impression that I was being rude or, you know, didn't want to hang out with them or whatever, and I was just making up excuses. And then once people know, it's like, oh, she's not being rude. She's actually got stuff going on. She's not having – yeah, any bad day, which no, yeah, everyone's entitled to, yeah, do. exactly. Um, and so it is like just such a I can't describe it in any way of just relief knowing, yeah, people know, but it is. Um, and like you mentioned, the financial thing, you know, um, my because I can't work, my parents, um, are still I'm very financially dependent on them, and there is a lot of guilt and the burden thing that comes with that. Yeah. That you know, I'm 26 and my parents are still paying for majority of stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it kind of is what it is and, you know, I'm working towards it's not, like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not like you're sitting on your ass no, not doing anything no. you're trying to yeah. get yourself better. So, yeah. and I guess knowing me and a lot of this sounds very similar, you probably want to get into the workforce and stuff and then. I dare say, in your mind, probably part of you is like, I want to repay them with an overseas trip in 10 yeah, years' time or something. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. it's something, cause something that I want to do with my parents. Yeah. But I'm guessing it's very similar with you. Yeah, definitely. And, like, you know, I have so many people that say to me, um, you know, that I'm being selfish and all this stuff. And there's nothing that makes me angrier because it's like the only reason I'm on this earth is because of my family. Yeah. And it kills me that my parents have cancelled trips to Europe and stuff like that because of me and the enormous amount of guilt that I carry with that. So when people say, oh, you know, it's not just about you, it's about your family and stuff, it's, I find it very insulting because pretty much all I think about is the impact that this has yes. on the people that I love. Um, and, yeah, so um, it's not a selfish thing. It's not something where I only think about myself. I constantly am thinking about, you know, and it's hard because it's something like we touched on before that – I feel so much guilt and a burden, but then if I left, it would also ruin their lives. So it's kind of like I can't win type yeah, thing that yeah. I, like, yeah, battle with. Um, but, yeah. And that that's the study suicide and everyone in there thinks, oh, suicide's selfish, but as we've spoken about suicide from both our angles is mm-hmm. that you're doing it for the people you love. But we can both sit here now and say if we do do that, yeah. It's actually worse yeah, for them. Yeah, definitely. It's something that people out there do not get over. No. Like no. losing their child, losing their yeah. brother or sister, their yeah. best friend. Yeah. It's something they live – and I speak to a lot of people who have been on the receiving end of yeah. uh, family members losing suicide. And it's something they live with forever. Yeah. And so, then my, my grandma committed suicide when I was four. 
and it was something that my mum still lives with. It's something I lived with when I was only four. Yeah. Um, and so, but then even though I've experienced that, I've sat there and said to psychologists, oh, but, you know, they'd be over it in two years. Yeah. And he's literally said to me, that is bullshit. Like, yeah. you know that's bullshit. You're just telling yourself that. Um, and it's true. They wouldn't be over it in two years. It would be something that would affect them forever. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, but I think mental illness, um, your brain lies to you. Your brain tells you um, things that aren't logical or aren't true um, and it's very hard to, when that's a constant thing that's happening for years, it's a very hard thing to fight for a long time. Like, like It's like any habit people mm-hmm. develop, yeah. but changing that is very, so let's say a smoker, for example, yeah. like someone that's been smoking for 10, 15 years and my mum had a heart attack and that yeah. forced her to stop. Yeah. But for someone else, if they've got health problems and they're told to quit smoking, it's not just as easy as no. clicking your fingers. And no. it's the same with our mental state of mind. Yeah. If we've been 15, 20 years telling ourselves how much of a shit person we are, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't just take one day to say, no. oh, no, I'm the best person ever. No. Which you don't want to get to that. No. Anyway, but like it's, <laughs> the balance, you can't yeah. just simply... Click, click no, that switch. definitely not. So, I mean, it's good that you're still here and we'll talk yeah. about suicide in a second. But um, the main sort of point of that is that, yeah, it may seem like a burden outside for people, but your family will do anything yeah. for you. Yeah. And I know they would prefer that you're safe and happy yeah. without even knowing them than yeah. traveling. Yeah. I, I know yeah, my mum's told me that. Like, she would rather me be safe than... Yeah go travel. Yeah, exactly. Um, and people, I guess, that say that just don't understand. No. And, yeah. and, that, and that's okay. What I, I used to get quite offended and quite upset about what people said in things like that. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it's kind of like they just don't understand. Yeah. Just let it be. Is that... Yeah, well, I've got to the point where um, I'm... Like, at the start, it used to really affect me. Um, I've kind of got to the point where only real people in my life are people that get it, people that I have a very small, tight circle now, um, and uh, is for a reason. That is because I only want to surround myself with people that are on board, that are helping me towards my recovery, um, and I don't need people in my life anymore that are saying that kind of stuff. But it's taken a really long time to get to that point yeah. and not take it on. Um, and I guess I just go, well, you know, they're ignorant and they don't like everything has cause and effect. And I guess they haven't grown up or had experiences, so they wouldn't know. Um, and I guess that's part of the reason that, you know, I do speak about mental health and stuff like that and come on your podcast is, I guess, educate people on that it's not a selfish thing. It's, yeah, yeah, it's actually not. No. You're actually being very selfless in yes, every thought. definitely. Which actually causes more stress. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think personally we should be more selfish. Yeah. Um, because I think everyone in the world... The more selfish you are and the more you look after yourself, the more you can actually look after the people yeah. around you. Yeah. And so, And that's the same with you as well. The better you can equip yourself in the next two to five years, let's mm-hmm. say, because I, I don't know. Yeah. From what I've listened to, you're probably halfway through sort of recovery. I don't know. Um, like, yeah, majority of the way, but, I mean, it's it's not a, it's not a linear thing. Yeah, but, yeah, I'm doing really well. Yeah, yeah, but, like, from where you could come from. Yeah, it's a completely different person. Yeah, yeah. like... And you, we'll talk about aims and goals yeah. soon, but you've got stuff that you want to work towards, which you probably didn't have five years ago. No, not Five at years all. ago was survival. Yeah. Now you, so you're probably halfway in terms of that. Yeah, definitely. No time frame, but halfway yeah. Yeah. in a sense. Yeah. So you're actually working on these things which are selfish 
And if you get a job, all of a sudden your parents mm. can travel overseas. Yeah. So, but if you don't, yeah, work on yourself. So if you're not selfish, if you yeah. are self, uh, like if you are selfish the other yeah. way, then they don't get that. Yeah, and I think, um, I guess everyone has things that they, if they get called, they really struggle with. And my whole life, you can pretty much call me anything, but if you call me selfish, it really affects me. My whole life, I've tried so hard not to be selfish. So I guess for me, putting myself first and doing things, you're right that. In a way, if I do them, aren't selfish because they, in long term, will help all the people around me. I really struggle putting myself first yeah. and doing things that I know will help because I have this voice in my head that's going, no, you're selfish, you're selfish. And it's something, yeah, that I still struggle with and have to, you know, sit down and go, well, you know, it looks selfish, but if you do this, then in the long run, it's actually not selfish because it's helping the people that you love and, you know, yeah, help me become more independent, which is going to help my parents and other Everyone. family members. Yeah. Takes the stress away as well. Yeah, definitely. Them, but yeah. will never stop stressing. No. <laughs> um, so what what things do your families – do you have a boyfriend now? Uh, yes, I do. That's correct. I yeah. thought I saw him on yeah. Instagram. Um, you have a niece? Um, she is not officially, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and are there people close to you? What do they do that really helps you? So what specifically do mm-hmm. they do that helps just for anyone out there? Might- yeah. Okay. So um, I think the biggest thing for me is just talking about it like it's have a broken leg. Like um, for me, when it's like the elephant in the room, it makes me so uncomfortable. So um a lot of the people that I call family are not blood related. Um, but I guess my family, um, just things like, um, you know, my uncle has, um, younger children and if he's doing something with them, they just invite me. And I guess just like including me, they also don't take it personally when I like can't do it either. Um, and they don't make me feel guilty for not going to things. Um, I guess in terms of my parents, um, they pay for my private health insurance and stuff like that. So I can get, um, help because it's very hard to get hospitalized, um, in the public setting. Um, and I guess just like my family just act like it, you know, I'm just grace. I'm just like, and like I said before, my brother is very chilled and it's almost like when, I got told I have like this personality disorder and stuff. Everyone's like making a big deal and he's just like, she's just grace. Like she's just my sister. Like it's almost like he's surprised. He's like, she's been like this her whole life. Like, but he's just, and people always think that, that, that he's being harsh, but it's actually so good for me because it's just like, he's, I'm just his sister. I'm just grace. And that's just the way I am. And he's so like accepting of just like, well, that's great. She's always been like that. Like he doesn't see what the big deal is. Yeah. And you don't, no, you and don't want a big deal. No, I don't what? want a big deal. It's just like, well, this is who I am. And you know, um, and yeah, I guess, yeah, it's, it's talking, the main things would be just including me and also, um, yeah, just making it something that's just talked about it's not something that's hidden you know my um the people that I call my cousins who are you know younger um and in like the young teenage they know about it um not in a great detail but it's something that I talk about in front of them because I don't think it's something that should be hidden it's no different to if I had any other kind of illness that I would tell them about um yeah so yeah 
Um, what the, so we mentioned you mentioned off air that you tried to take your own life a couple of times. Yeah. Was that through those years you were talking about before? Um, yeah. So um, the first time was 2015. Um, uh, that was during um, a very depressed period. Um, and a thing that I want to say was um, that what happened was I had a very um, – I mean, I was going through a really bad period, but um, – the boyfriend I was with at the time um, took the day off work and um, made like did a really special day for me, um, and we had a really good time. And then he dropped me off and went to the footy. And it's coming home after a really good day and still feeling like shit. That made me go, well, I've just had an amazing day and this still hasn't gone away. It's never going to go away. And um, that's when it happened. Um, and, and just before you go yeah. on, there's nothing anyone could have done no. to stop you. It, it would have been luck that someone being in the right place at that time yeah. would have stopped you. And that's, that's yeah. it. it was, and I just, I guess I ask that because people always think we should have just spoken to someone or whatever. But no. in that time frame, it's just like that. Yeah. And I think um, during that period, it wasn't, if someone had stopped me at that time, it would have happened whether it was a week later or it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, people do feel a lot of guilt about, oh, I should have been home or, you know, and I know that boyfriend felt guilt about going to the footy that night and stuff, but. It none of that was going to change, and it wasn't his outcome. fault. No, it not at all. It wasn't anyone's fault. No, not at all. Um, and I think the thing was at that time um, there was nothing wrong. Like there was no situational type thing, so it was really hard because we couldn't do anything. There was nothing that I could see that was wrong. I just wasn't myself. Um, so yeah, there was nothing that in my life that I could fix because nothing was wrong. We didn't know why I was feeling this way, yeah. which I think also was part of some of the not having hope was just like, I don't know why I'm like this. Um, there's nothing I can do to like fix anything. Um, so yeah, that was the first time. Um, the second time um, I was going through a very, um, like I was doing better, but I was going through a rough time. Um, just with um, a relationship breakdown and um, I, again, um, was going through a rough time but had a good day. I spent the day um, with my friend and her daughter and really good day and then it was when I went home and being alone. Um, so I think it's an important thing that for me I know like a risk factor is during a bad period for me when I do have good days that af- after that is a very like – risky time for calm, me it's like yeah. a calm down and off a drunk basically yeah basically yeah that high yeah happiness, and then suddenly like- i'm and i um almost even till today like still i have a fear of being alone um and i guess it's because my mind is constantly on and i guess when i'm with people that silences it a little bit but when i'm alone um i really struggle so yeah i guess when you're having a good day and um, doing nice things with people and then you come home and you're alone that is a risk factor for me but I now know that and um, yeah I guess it's something that I've learned and my family and friends are aware um, of that so yeah I guess it's something that I've learned from. Um, no, I don't think that's too uncommon I think you no. hear about suicide from famous people and they've just like no one they've that's had the, the best thing, time yeah. of their life everyone's like they were just making a movie that was amazing. Like yeah. they were so happy on set. 
Yeah. And it's like, it is that come down effect of they've got to where they wanted if that happiness yeah. and it's like, oh, but what's next? This sad Yeah. Like, and I feeling. think like the first time my boyfriend was at the footy and got a call and was like, what? Like, she had the best day. Like, what do you mean? And, yeah. um, yeah. And I think that was really hard. And then I felt so much guilt because he tried so hard to help and like no one could help it. It's not his fault. It's no one's fault. It's just the circumstances that it was. Um, and there's just like, it's a disease. It's the same as cancer. There's symptoms. And yeah. for me, suicide is a symptom of what I have going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, from suicide attempts, mm-hmm. do you feel that's rock bottom? Like, is that something, something where you feel like that's as low as you can possibly get? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I have definitely had times where I think for me it's more um so I have had two attempts but over the last five years um there's probably been 10 um times where I've had plans and then um more time like probably years of like every day thinking about it um and so even days that I haven't attempted, um, there's been probably more rock bo- bottoms than the days that I have. It's very complicated, but um, I've had many <laughs> rock bottoms. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's also um, when you fail an attempt, as good as it is, you um, have to face the consequences of your family and friends and the sadness that that brings and the guilt that comes with that um so it's not necessarily an easy road after um that and as you know happy as your family and friends are that you are okay um like physically that um it's a long process of yeah Two-part question. Mm-hmm. What are the signs and symptoms that you see now in yourself and in previous years? And what do you do to help yourself manage this all? Yeah. Um, so, I guess um, there was a time. So, it then got discovered that, that I had borderline personality disorder, which a lot of people don't know much about. Um, I, for one, yeah. one of those people. Yeah. yeah so, um, it's basically um, just a list of behaviours and if you check a certain amount, then you get diagnosed with it. But it can um, – a lot of people present in very different ways. Um, but a lot of that is like – so for me, it's like fear of rejection. Um, self-harm and suicide is like a very common thing with people with borderline um and just like emotional dysregulation um and that's where the um me very being super sensitive super compassionate um and like I had a doctor once say to me that my compassion and empathy is my best trait but will also ruin my life um because I take it way too far that I care way more about people than myself um, so I think at the moment, um, I'm doing a DBT course, which is, um, dialectical behavior therapy and borderline can't be treated at this point with, um, medication. So the main way that they treat it is through DBT therapy. Um, so I do four hours group a week and then a one hour one-on-one, um, with a psychologist. Um, and, I think I'm two months in and um, out of a – it goes till October. So um, – and it's already made a massive um, difference. Um, and I guess 
it's helped me. I mean, it's hard. It's kind of like one of those things that it's getting worse to get better. Like I have to, I've realized how much, how much time I spend going, Oh no, it's just a brain imbalance when there's a lot of stuff that I haven't dealt with even from childhood. Um, how important is that to, sorry to interrupt, but how important is it to actually go go backwards in and to go through that the actual yeah. proper shit that's going on in yeah. your brain yeah. to actually move forward like because I'm a personal trainer and to get to someone to change their lifestyle mm-hmm. it's you don't worry about the food you've got to figure out why they're drinking yeah. alcohol why yeah. they're eating bowl of ice cream every night like it's yeah. not because they just want that ice cream it's because of everything else yeah and i think um I now see like, um, so I am four months sober from alcohol and, but I see now that there are so many things that I was doing as coping mechanisms that appear healthy. So things like exercise and I'm very like all or nothing. So I then be exercising every day and running my body into the ground or things like, because I hate being alone, I use people as a coping mechanism and no one sees that as a negative thing, but it's where I constantly have to be around people. And then as the second I'm by myself, um, I can't cope. Um, so I think sometimes people use what looks like a positive thing as a coping mechanism because when it's used in, in extreme, it's a negative thing, yeah. if that makes sense. So, no, it doesn't. It's finding yeah. that balance. And, yeah. And you touch on the exercise thing. It's obviously a lot of the stuff I see and I follow is girls that binge on weekends or mm-hmm. even, even males, I'm not going to put it down. Yeah. yeah. They binge on weekends and then they go and smash themselves for three hours and yeah. they use exercise as a punishment. Yeah. Not as what it Therefore, yeah. is for movement and just to keep your body regulated, yeah. not to smash it for three yeah. hours, which I don't know if you did. Yeah, well, but. I think, like, um, it got to a point where I was eating a litre of ice cream a day so that I wouldn't hurt myself, and doctors were trying to address that, and I have um, a psychiatrist that was like, no, like, we will address that later. Yeah. We need to keep you alive. And I think for many years it was surviving, and now probably the last year um, it's about um, not so much surviving now, it's about living, I guess, and learning how to live in balance. Um, I am all or nothing in every aspect of my life. I always have been, and it's finding balance in exercise, balance in eating, balance in like spending social time, but also learning. I'm trying to like teach myself to be able to spend time on my own. Um, I was in a relationship for eight years, so when that ended, it was like, holy shit, how do I sleep by myself? Like, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, and, yeah, so I guess it's just the last year I've been trying to, um, yeah, learn how to live in balance. Um, I still – it's something that I think I will forever have to really nice. focus on to because yeah. it doesn't come natural to me. You're, I either sleep for 18 it. hours or don't sleep. Um, like, yeah. Um, but it's something that through DBT, um, I am more aware, I guess, and, um, mindfulness and things like that being, I've learned, I've got a lot more self-awareness of like the patterns, I guess, of my behavior and why I do what I do and stuff like that. And, um, I still like, I guess self-sabotage is a massive thing for me. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot, a lot of people don't understand that like for me at the moment, because everything is going well and it's probably the happiest I've been in a very long time. It actually causes me to stress. Um, and most people don't understand, but, um, I think because I spent five years being miserable, that's just what I know. So that's, 
seems normal to me. So being having joy and having really good things happen um, is extremely distressing for me. And because I have very low self-worth, um, I tend to self-sabotage. So I, And it's a typical borderline thing in that I reject people before they can reject me. I, you know, run from things that are good and to kind of take control because I believe that everyone will leave me, no one loves me, all that kind of not good enough stuff. Um, and yeah, so I guess I'm no longer like just, you know, here and trying to survive. It's more now going through my past and looking at the behavior patterns and everything to try and yeah, live again. Yeah. And actually live a, live a quality life. Yeah. So you've more gone up the roller coaster now it's time to sort of ride the waves along the the ups which are good but then learning from the downs and even learning from the ups because you haven't had them before so managing those along the way so I want you to sort of just explain um, what you think might be some of your flaws and how do they affect the people around you yeah Um, so I guess um, a flaw would be I think like definitely the all or nothing um, I think it's a roller coaster for my family. Um, and, you know, I've lost, um, friends and stuff because it's intense. It's, you know, full on. I don't, I think one thing is I don't listen to advice a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, my parents would be telling, or friends would be telling me the same thing for three years. And then one day I'm like, oh, I should do this. And they're like, yeah, we've been telling you that for so long. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things that you kind of like, I couldn't give up alcohol till I was ready to give up alcohol. Didn't matter. They were telling me I was going to die or, you know, whatever I needed to decide for myself. Um, and I think, like, um, I guess, you know, like I said, my brother is laid back and stuff like that, but, um, it does affect him. And even though he doesn't talk about it, I know it does. And I think it's things like, you know, my parents having to drive me to appointments and things like that because I am on suicide watch or, you know, them having to, um, like, you know, my brother in his early twenties having to, you know, hide things around the house to keep me safe and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I did have, um, a partner say to me that every time the phone rang, he thought I was like dead. And, um, I guess, yeah, starting new friendships and new relationships, I find really hard because I don't want, even though I am doing better, it's a constant fear that I will go back to that. And I guess I don't want, when I meet new people and people come close to me, I find it hard to let them in because I don't want them to experience what all these other people, lovely people in my life have experienced in the past. And to, even though, you know, everyone says, well, it's their choice to be a part of it. And I am very open. They know everything. It's still, I don't want to put new people through that when I feel like I've put enough people through that stuff. Um... Yeah, but I mean... And those people that have drifted out of your mm-hmm. life, friends and stuff, because uh, they've drifted out, I've had people drift out of my life and yeah. I'm part of a few mental health groups and stuff yeah. like that. And these people are always like, oh, people don't want to be friends with me, blah, 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 blah. And I've always looked at it as that's their choice and yeah. they aren't to blame for any of it because no. they have the right to pick and choose yeah. what they want to be around as and well. And I think like, you know, it, at the time it's very hurtful and, you know, I have had people say that it, directly it is because of my mental health um which is very hard to take but, i mean it's something that i say to my family in that i 
and the same with like close friends they can never know what I'm going through but I also can never know what it's like to have a best friend that's suicidal all the time or have a daughter that's suicidal all the time so as much as and like I guess my fear of rejection and abandonment doesn't help when close friends leave or relationships break down um but yeah I I don't know what it's like to have a best friend that is how I was um so you know as sad as it makes me and um as hard as it is those people um you know did the best that they could the best that they knew how helped my life tremendously and you know there's no blame that's just you know, they, in have to our look 20s, they have to look after themselves. And, you know, one of my friends said to me, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. And like, I had become dependent and on her and, um, it wasn't fair. It wasn't a friendship anymore. It was, she was caring for me yeah. and, you know, she went, like went and tra- traveled and stuff and it just wasn't working. And, you know, that's just her journey and her stuff that she needs to go through. And, but it is hard. It is, you know, um, and I guess it does feel like it's personal on mental health and things yeah. like that. But, um, yeah, like I said, I don't know what it would be like and she doesn't know, you In know. Essence, they're yeah. really looking after their mental yeah, health. Yeah, exactly. And definitely. And that's so. what she was saying that this is becoming like, like hurting my well-being. Yeah. And, yep. you know, um, so they're doing yeah. it for their exactly. safety and yeah. health. And because I care about them, still do, I want what's best for them yeah. and, you know, care yeah, about them. As it is. Yeah. A um, couple more things before mm-hmm. we let you go. Um, let's talk about uh, you mentioned before you lost 80 kilos in the last year. Yeah. Um, what came, what made you start that journey as such? Um, so, um, I think. I mean, I've always been someone that struggled with my weight, um, even since like primary school. Um, but once I got, um, sick with depression, um, I used to use food as a coping mechanism, like binge eating, um, for a really long time. Um, and I spent about, um, so my mum had weight loss surgery, um, which, seeing her recovery and also because I do have a joint disorder, carrying a lot of weight on my joints and stuff causes more pain. Um, and so from a physical and from a mental perspective, um, doctors and stuff were saying this is the best way. Um, and at the weight that I got, it was almost impossible for me to exercise. And I would go through periods where I would lose weight um, on my own, but I'd end up putting it back on and it wasn't sustainable. Yeah. Um, especially with a joint. Yeah, the joint definitely. Problem, yeah. It affects exercise a lot. Yeah. Um, and especially like I got to, I think 166 kilos. Um, and yeah, it was just impossible for me. Like I could barely walk around Kmart, let alone, yeah, do enough exercise to lose that amount yeah. of weight that I needed. Um, the problem was though that I spent about two years trying to get a surgeon to do it. Um, and they wouldn't do it because of my mental health. Um, and because that there are things that come with losing that amount of weight in that amount of time, it is hard for my head to catch up and not see myself as the same person. Yeah. Um, but. At the same time, you know, I had psychiatrists writing to him saying, we need this done, this is going to help. And it was two years of him moving the goalposts. Like he'd say, okay, do this and come back in a month and I'd do it. And then he'd be like, 
all right, maybe do this. And in the end, in that two years, I was putting on more weight and more weight. And in the end, I just went to a different surgeon and um, saw him five weeks later, had it done. And I mean, like people say, oh, it's the easy way out. It's not easy. It's um, very hard recovery. Um, But at the same time, it's like changed my life immensely. Um, I've almost like halved my weight. Um, And, you know, I do have to be careful with exercise because of my joint problem, but I am able to go to the gym, be healthy and just even like be active and like go out every day. And, you know, I can, like it got to the point where I couldn't go to the MCG because I couldn't walk from Richmond station to the MCG or like things like, you know, if I go out into the city with friends for someone's birthday, I don't have to worry about walking or things like that. And so it's just general, like socially it's become so much easier, like not having that weight and pain. And I still have pain, but it's, um, yeah, a lot more manageable. Yeah. yeah. And the pain comes from more moving now than sitting. Yeah, and I guess the hard thing is is that they were always saying that for me um, I need to build muscle around my joints to support them. So exercising makes it more painful, but it's the only thing that's going to make it less painful. Yeah. So it's like a catch-22 thing. But I wasn't able to really do that um, until I'd lost a decent amount of weight. Um, and now like I am in less pain because I am able to yeah, get stronger and build up the muscles in my back and stuff like that. Um, how, how much has it helped you confidence wise, self-esteem wise, um, being able to look at yourself and be a different person? Um, in some ways, um, it's helped in some ways it's made it worse. Yep. Um, I think, um, so I had surgery almost a year ago and so it's a long time to lose like basically a person. Yeah. Um, and, I mean a short term short time sorry um and I guess um I do it has helped my confidence a lot um but it's also like I will sometimes like be in a shop or whatever and see a reflection of myself and I'm like that's not me like it's very it is a big head thing um but yeah at the like my mum said the other day oh when we were out people were checking you out I was like no they're not like I don't <laughs> like I literally don't believe her yeah yeah um like I don't see necessarily what other people um set like see um but yeah it's definitely improved my it's confidence and, and like when I look at photos and stuff um I am like oh my god like I can't even and like my five-year-old niece is like like I showed her a photo the other day and she obviously has no filter because she's five and she's like you were so big she's like I like you so much better now and but I think it's more because she sees that I'm happier and I can do more things with her yeah yeah, stuff like that um no 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 she's hilarious but um yeah she can see and like even if you like look at the photos, like I look happy and like I'm just healthier, my skin's better, like just everything is better. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, like health wise, with losing weight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I, yeah, I'll say this. I'm not. I'm. I've never been a big advocate for surgery and yeah. stuff like that. So it's really good for me to hear that because I yeah. can now hear it from someone who's been through it. Yeah. Um. And I, I guess I'll probably always have my views on it, but I. But then again, my views don't matter because I've never been in that situation. Yeah. And I think, look, I'm the same in that, like, I am on a lot of Facebook groups where people have um, talk about it and, you know, there are people that are 90 kilos and things like that and have surgery. And, I mean, everyone does what they want to do, but me personally, I think it's a, it's a very extreme procedure um, and it's a very hard recovery. I don't think that that's worth it yeah. to me personally. Um 
But for me, I was at a point where there was no other way to lose that amount of weight and You're, sustain it. It's like, the physical joint pain that yeah. that I can can't relate to in terms of understanding it, but I can see how yeah, well you couldn't exercise no. three or four times a week because that would turn you in more pain so then you can't yeah. have the chain for a couple of weeks and yeah. all of a sudden. And it's this I guess um, I'm very lucky in that my um, psychiatrist is also a pain specialist. So she gets that the physical and mental stuff interact and, like, a mental um, facility will be saying, you know, you need to go out and do all these things, but we're not giving you, like, pain medicine. The thing is is that I can't, like, go out and do fun things and not be in pain. So it's like I can do less things, but then I'm in pain, like I'm not in pain, but I'm at home by myself and more depressed. So it's like... It's, yeah, a real balance in finding that. But I guess, yeah, I mean, surgery, I think I think it's a good option when there's no other option and yeah. there's, you know, a lot of – I had a lot of health issues. I had extreme sleep apnea. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on. It wasn't just about what I looked like. It yeah. was, actually had nothing to do with what I looked like. I was like, if I get to 100 kilos, I don't care. I just need to get better. Yeah. Um, it, for me, it was never a looks thing. And I think for some people it is, and it's – they try and find self-worth and self-confidence out of that and it's not going to work. But as you've said, you still see yourself sometimes yeah, as it hasn't, that person. Yeah, it hasn't worked for me in terms of confidence really. Um, but for me, I think if it's, a, if it's a real health thing, I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it depends really the motive and the reason you're doing it as to whether I agree or not. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. similar to you, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Thanks for sharing that. That was really right. good to listen to. Um, but, I mean, like, everyone does what they is right for them. But, yeah, yeah that's yeah. just my opinion. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we're allowed, yeah, we're allowed opinion. <laughs> Although in five years' time, I don't know if anyone's going to be allowed opinion on anything. But, um, I guess uh, I want to talk about your boyfriend. How long yeah. have you been with him? Um, not very long, um, just a couple of months. And did you tell him about this straight away? Um, so he knew that I had mental health problems before we met. Um, and then, um, I kind of, um, told him a little bit on our first date. Um, and as I guess like we met on Tinder and I guess, um, for me, once I'm talking to someone for a while, I'd rather them know because if it's a problem straight up, well, then I don't really want to waste my time yeah. kind of thing. But at the same time, it's a balance between not telling your whole life story yeah. before you've met someone. And, yeah, so he knew from get-go that I had stuff going on um, and he now pretty quickly knew everything. Um, and I think for me, because of my fear of rejection, it is helpful for him to know everything that I've been through because I then know, well, he's still choosing to be here despite all yeah, of that stuff yeah. um and yeah he's great he's very supportive and you know from the get-go he's said things like because i would tell people stuff and guys would be like oh it's fine and then not talk to me yeah. whereas he is like the first person that's gone oh that's really intense like i'm really overwhelmed but i'm here for you and like that honesty for me is so important because it is intense it is overwhelming yeah, yeah. and for him to admit that but go you know but i'm still here is actually means so much more to me than people just saying oh it's fine not being fine yeah um so yeah and he's um always says to me like i don't like i don't know what you're going through but like he's yeah very supportive in every way um yeah good little pump up for him yeah (laughs) um lastly 
what are your goals and ambitions going forward? Like, as I've spoken about, you've gone through a lot of the hard times mm-hmm. and there'll be hard times to come. Touchwood is not too many. Yeah. But the likelihood is yeah. you're going to be able to manage them better anyway. What are your goals and ambitions? What do you strive to sort of achieve next two, five, ten years? Yeah. Um, so I guess like short term, um, I've really like devoted this year to um, like finishing the DVT program and I'm also doing like some physical rehab stuff and I guess just getting my body physically and mentally in a space where I can um, work even if it's one or two days a week. Um, I'm still trying to figure out um, what I want to do. I think I still do want to go down the youth work route. I just don't know what kind of path. Um, but lately I've also um, really want to become like a mental health ad- advocate. And I guess um, I kind of believe that, you know, I've be- I've had this journey, I've been given this stuff to help people. And I guess um, my, I want to tell my story and be able to help people. Um, and I don't really know what that will look like um, at the moment, but yeah, it's something that I'm thinking a lot about and um, yeah, whether I want to write a book or do whatever. Um, and yeah, but I think definitely probably go down the mental health, um, route and help other people. Um, and just, yeah, share my experience. Um, and I guess long term, like I would, um, love to have a family and do some traveling and stuff that I feel I've kind of, you know, I haven't really traveled in my early twenties and things like that. Um, but I guess, yeah, um, through what I've been through, if I'm just happy and living a quality life, then I'll be pretty happy. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah but I mean, I would really like to become less um, dependent on my family financially and, you know, move out of home and, um, yeah, do things like that. So I think, um, I mean, they're not small things, but um, <laughs> like, yeah, just things like, you know, live out of home um, and, you know, not depend on my dad for everything um, would be, yeah, would be great for me. Um, but also, yeah, I guess try and turn my experience and like my story into helping other people would mean everything to me. So, how yeah. important how important is it for you to have those goals in place while you go through this recovery to keep you on track? I think like it gives you a purpose. It gives you like um, so for DBT, um, sometimes I go to group and it makes it worse. It's kind of like short term pain, long term gain. Like it means that I have to. It would kind of be easier for me to not do it because yeah. it, it means that I have to address everything. I have to you know look at myself and like realize causes of problems, and it's hard. But I guess the way that I get through that is you know focusing on the things that I do want to achieve and you know see that the the more that I do this the closer I am to getting there um and yeah that's why you know I'm not drinking alcohol and stuff like that because I when I do get cravings to do that I do try and think of well this is where I want to be and doing that is not a step towards where I want to go so yeah I think having even if it's a small goal like having something that you're working towards gives you a little bit of purpose and gives you a reason to do the hard stuff. Get out of bed. Yeah, get out of bed. Like, yeah. impossible. And, like, at at one point in my life, like, you know, if I had a shower, like, once a week, that was, like, me doing amazing. Like, so it it depends, like, what stage you're at. But, you know, if I was getting out of bed every day and showering my family, like, showering once a week, my family were, like, amazed. So, um, and I think that's the thing, too. I forget you know, I have a bad day, which my bad days now would have been 
fantastic days three years ago and I forget I feel so much guilt when I have a bad day now going oh I'm back there but then when I look back I'm like no like my family if I was having this day five years ago or three years ago my family would be ecstatic like they'd be so happy yeah Yeah. so I think it's just um being proud of being proud yeah definitely and not being so hard on yourself yeah and I think scared of you know I think for a long time when I've been good I've just waited to get sick again rather than making progress to actually get well um because yeah sometimes being sick feels comfortable because it's what you've known for a very long time yeah Um, just like i always use this just like happy people in the world those annoying people that happy about (laughs) everything it's very hard for them to be sad but for us being sad it's always normal it's it's very hard to actually be happy and go well i should be happy it's like now i should be sad yeah that's me i'm a sad person yeah definitely um before we wrap it up, is there anything you'd like to sort of deliver to the listeners? You can say whatever you like. Um, I guess just, and I know everyone says this, but like if you are going through something, tell someone, tell anyone, like um, a teacher or a friend or anybody. Um, like I cannot even describe the relief that you will feel once you say that. I think for anybody that is supporting someone or someone that is going through something, um, I've touched on it before, but just talking about it like it's they have a broken leg or like any other kind of thing that it's just normal. It's just part of life. We all we all have mental health. We all have to look after our mental health. Like we have to look after our physical health and some people just struggle more with that. So I think, yeah, if you are surrounded by people that are struggling, talk about it, make it, you know, something that, and I guess even if you have children or like teenagers, even if they're not struggling, just make it a conversation, make it that talking about mental health is normal. So they can, you know, say, oh, mum, I'm not feeling well today or, you know, whatever. And it's just the same as if they had gastro. You know, I think it's just important for everyone to just talk about mental health like it's just you've got a cold. Like, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just... The more simple for you can make it. Yeah, exactly. If it's just, you know, you wouldn't not tell your mum that you're feeling you have the flu. So, why you know, I think that's just really important. And it's going to take time for all of society to be like that, but... I think, yeah, the more that each individual just talks about it like it's normal, then um, I think it's going to help. And if you don't understand it, you don't have to understand it. No, and that's the thing, like, you know, one of the, like, the best things that people say to me is, I don't know much about mental health, so if I say the wrong thing, please tell me because I don't, but I'm here for you. Yeah. And, like, that means so much to me that they are saying, like, I don't know what to say, but I'm still here. And, um I think, yeah, you don't have, like, no one, if you haven't experienced it, you don't know, always know what to say. But, you know, I've had friends that have just sat with me in silence and that's, it just makes you feel like you're not alone and I think that's, that's very powerful. That can be a lifesaver in itself. Definitely, yeah, definitely. All right, wrap it up. Yep. All right, I'll say, lastly, I'll just say, um, Grace is on Instagram. You can follow her at Unfiltered Mental Health. So that's just three words stumbled in as one, unfiltered. Yeah unfiltered mental health i'm looking at it now it's also uh, the same on facebook also the same yeah. on facebook so give her a follow um and she as she says here let's talk life <laughs> um she shares some one i've read a few of her posts before she came in today she shares some really raw stuff i'm looking at a picture now with tears in her eyes um 
Do you know which one that is? Uh, oh, now I've just gone out of it. Um, yeah, I think the basis of mine is to, like, unfilter mental health in that I don't really hide, like, I post good stuff, I post bad stuff because I don't want to, yeah, it's just my, like I said, yes, it's just life. life. It's yeah. It's not the uh, best snippet of No, like most it's not people. my highlight reel. Yeah. It's, you know, I hate social media for that and um, it's just my life. And, yeah. and it's not complaining, it's no, just it's stating just, what's is, happening. This is what's happening. Yeah. yeah. So um, give that a follow, give that a like, um, give her a shout out. Um, especially if she's helped you in any way through this podcast, let us know. Um, thank you, Grace, for coming in and sharing a story. Thank you for having me, and I hope that everyone listening has got something out of it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13-1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y-F-I-T-T dot com dot A-U.